Remind me again, what's your favorite type of cookie to eat? Well, I mean, chocolate chip, I guess, is hard to beat. I, I do like a good sugar cookie. What do you think is the, the cookie that has the, the highest market penetration? I'm going to go uh, Chips Ahoy. That's a good guess. But would it surprise you that it's Oreo? I wouldn't have really picked that as a cookie. If you can't eat it as dough, it's not a cookie. Oreo accounts for roughly 10% of all cookies purchased in the U.S. Yeah, but how much of this is related to cookies and cream ice cream? You think that they're rolling that into the overall number? The I number think so. Of- I think they're overly inflating their sales. Speaking of eating Oreos, how do you do it? Do you break it apart and eat the filling? Do you eat it together as a sandwich? Do you dip it in milk? What do you do? Typically, what I like to do is uh, I twist it, you know, like kind of pull it apart a little bit and then throw it in the trash can. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 365. Chris, I tripped over myself a little bit. That's uh, the first episode of 2024. I'm out of practice. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because 365 is typically the number of days in a year, but this year oh. it's a leap year. So next next week's episode will be actually the number of days in 2024. Okay. I did not realize it was a leap year. I'm going to have to redo all my strategic plans. <laughs> all right. Well, good news. We are back for yet another year, or I'm assuming it's good news or you wouldn't be listening. Either way, that's right. Um, if you're if you're back, we certainly appreciate the support. If you're new to the to the show, welcome. A couple of quick plugs: Touchpoint.health is the website, so you can navigate over there, check out a little bit more about the show. While you're there, you'll see something called the TPS report. For those that have listened, you've probably already signed up. If not, forward it to somebody if you've already signed up. But what it is, it's an email. comes out every Monday, five articles to so get your week started, a few links to industry conferences, things like that. But hopefully a little value add for uh, you, the listener. So we'll, we'll do this. We'll pause here, let you go check that out. Again, touchpoint.health. And then we'll be back uh, with the show today. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. All right, Reed. Well, we typically start the year off 
with looking at a number of important trends that are impacting 2024, the year that we're about to embark on. If you sign up for that TPS report, you'll notice that we actually are highlighting some of the biggest stories, right? Uh, Articles that kind of highlight some of the things that you want to look at. Today, we're going to dive into one particular thing that I think is critical for us in 2024, market segmentation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. been spending a lot of time over the last, well, really nine, maybe close to a year, uh, really kind of looking at this and thinking about not targeting necessarily. I mean, it helps with that, certainly, but just kind of how we think about our customer or consumer or patient, however you want to label that, and the segmentation that goes into that to allow for personalization and things like that. We keep talking about how personalization is important, how the use of data to build a better profile on the on the user, how experience is important for a marketer. Underpinning all of that is this concept of segmentation, understanding our customer, being able to group them in a way that actually makes sense. So today we're going to dive deep into that topic. There's a great article from McKinsey that was published towards the end of last month, the end of December in 2023, that is entitled 2024 Health Systems Outlook. There's a host of challenges ahead. That's an understatement, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think it's interesting. First off, man, 2024. Boy, time is just really moving by, isn't it? It really is. I feel like it's 10 years ago, date-wise. Because we, I mean, we're starting year eight of this podcast, yes, calendar year yeah. eight. yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll talk more about that another time. But anyway, it's, they're talking here about the, the fact that the focus has shifted from near-term challenges to more of a longer-term impact or applications. So I think that's probably true as, as people are getting further from COVID. And again, 2024, remember, COVID was 2020 or kind of when it started, right? But it still feels like it was last year. It's just kind of an odd feeling, I guess. One of the things that they underscore is big as the biggest driver of all of these trends, Reed, is the acceleration of expenses over revenue. Yeah. They said that health systems revenue rose 12.5% from 2021 to 2022. But operating expenses rose 17.2% during the same period. That math doesn't work out here for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm a marketing guy, but <clears throat> even I could tell you that that's not a good ratio. Not really where you want to find yourself. Not at uh, all. And they're saying here that the imbalance really stems from several trends. The first one, inpatient utilization and reimbursement is driving up labor costs and requiring kind of a, a acquisition of new capabilities. That's really where the pressure. And so Let's talk about a couple of, you know, kind of these imbalances. We all know that there's a lot of competition from non-traditional players in our space. Amazon, Dollar General, others are coming into our space in a big, big way. And these non-traditional players are digital native companies in many cases that have more access to capital than we do as health systems. And what they're doing is they're cherry picking attractive patient segments and getting margin by reducing the total cost of care with a primary focus on inpatient utilization. I mean, that's the whole rise of one medical, all the telemedicine things that are coming out. This trend is exacerbating the continued pressure from payers on health systems to reduce inpatient utilization and reimbursement. But that's only one of the major trends, right? Yeah, another one, I mean, again, we've talked about this a million times and for a million years, it feels like, but is the workforce shortage. Still a big deal. And they say in here, McKinsey estimates by 2025, 
that the U.S. alone may face a shortage of 200 and even upwards of 450,000 nurses. Wow. 200 to 450,000. That's a lot. They say that that's somewhere in the 10 to 20% gap. The wage growth for non-clinical roles and inflation more generally are putting additional cost pressures on health systems. So very simply, not enough clinical, right? I know we talked about nurses, but I'm going to extend that to just being, you know, clinical roles in general, therapist, dietitian, doctor, nurse, doesn't really matter. But all those clinical roles, direct patient care roles, huge gap. And then we also see the growth of wages for non-clinical roles and then just inflation in general. So again, don't have enough clinical folks and everybody else we do have, you know, is struggling to make enough money, putting pressure on making more money, right? So again, it's just, we're kind of getting hit from all angles there. That's right. And there's two other great stakeholder groups that are driving the third trend here. Uh, These stakeholders are demanding new capabilities from us as health systems or provider organizations. Consumers' expectation of their experience with us is equating to what retailers are. And so now what that means is, is now we're trying to adapt by delivering omnichannel experiences, embracing self-scheduling tools and other things that you know allow the users to, to be more in charge of their care. And another great stakeholder group that's driving changes is payers. What payers are doing are driving health systems to move towards value-based care arrangements, you know, capitated overall costs of their care. McKinsey estimates that value-based care lives will grow from 80 million to 100 million in 2022, and then an additional 130 million by 2027. Um, so our business is changing, our, our customers' expectations are changing, our overhead salary costs are, are increasing, or we have a salary shortage, and we have other players coming in and cherry-picking segments of our audience. So what are we doing as health systems to respond to this? Yeah, they pivot a little bit in this article to talk about, you know, what they're seeing from health systems. And and the first thing they point out that is demand on health systems from the pandemic subsides. So what we just talked about, right, again, it still feels like it was last year. But as we kind of get further and further from that financial performance, players is, is diverging. So those that are seeing they say a marked improvement in performance or tightly focused on resilience, including finding efficiencies and taking a multi-levered uh, approach to growth. Basic blocking and tackling, right? So do we have the clinical programs in place to serve our communities? All the while looking at diversification within those revenue streams. This is where we see people that are predominantly focused on inpatient, looking at outpatient, Uh, looking at other types of assets or access points within the community, maybe things like that. And then monetization around best-in-class capabilities. So data and analytics, revenue cycle, et cetera. Wow, that sounds like a lot. But at the same time, health systems are also looking at cost containment issues, right? They're paying close attention to costs. They have to be intentional about about where they're going to deploy capital, given this pressure on their bottom line. So S&P Global Analysis shows that the median days of cash on hand fell from 250 days in 2021 to 209 days in 2022. This cost of capital is also rising, which is impacting the outlook for health systems. 
2022, McKinsey says that ratings actions by the major rating agencies skewed negative by almost two to one. And in 2021, they were essentially even. You know, they go on to talk about a few other things here. Uh, they say in here that, you know, that a lot of health systems have undertaken extensive cost transformation programs that, you know, while they are looking at, you know, traditional levers uh, such as supply pricing, things like that, they're also focused on clinical operations, patient access, talent attraction, retention, you know, et cetera. But as they look for efficiencies, they're taking more of a holistic view of the technology department, looking at kind of an end-to-end improvement of the process that drives value to the patient and for the business while uh, you know deploying these technologies to promote uh, what we like to call patient or consumer experience. Okay, if that isn't enough, there's one other thing that McKinsey kind of pulls out as a, a significant trend here that we have to pay attention to. We are in the throes of the biggest M&A wave in more than a decade. Healthcare deal activity has grown 42% since 2010. And unlike past deal waves, this one, McKenzie says, is characterized by a marked increase in cross-geography deals aimed at shared investment for platform capabilities to weather the turbulence facing the industry. So we're being hit by on all ends, Reed, in this industry of changes that are impacting the way we do our business. Now, clearly for us, that's going to be important, right, for us to kind of keep in mind as we start to plan our digital and marketing efforts for the upcoming year. One of the big focuses here is on operational improvement, optimizing transformation, and digital innovation. But as always, below all of that is this increased focus on ROI. So let's take a quick break here, Reed, and when we come back, we'll discuss One way organizations can look at maximizing ROI, and spoiler alert, it's in the title of this podcast, Market Segmentation. We'll do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Let's dive in, talk a little bit more about segmentation. ROI, I think, is going to be the theme. Your value is going to be the theme, you know, certainly over this year and going forward as we think about you know, what we can do as we focus on the consumer to maximize the value of our organizations. And we found an article here from Sheer ID called the top six segmented marketing trends to maximize ROI. So market segmentation is really important. As all marketers kind of look at 2024 and strategize even beyond, uh, Sheer ID indicates in this opinion piece that it's critical to keep outreach efforts fresh and look ahead towards upcoming trends. And a lot of the things this is kind of focusing now is on how the shifting pattern in consumer needs and preferences are evolving, as is technology. And so in order for us to stand out and be differential as an organization, 
we have to really start to understand our audience much better and what their needs and wants are. And I mean, as you think about this, certainly this is, you know, what allows you to target certainly, but more importantly, allow and drive personalized experiences. You would think, you would guess, if it's a more personalized experience, the return's going to be better. That's the whole point of this is uh, to make sure that you're putting the right message in front of the right person at the right time. We've said that for years, but a little bit more ingrained in that is this idea of not just groups or segments, but really how do you take into account not just their location or their age or their career, life stage, et cetera, but how do you almost get down to a one-to-one communication methodology that allows you to, again, put a personalized experience in front of someone that's going to resonate impact to them? Yeah, we've heard all those studies, right, that say in 2023, for example, 75% of consumers said they expect brands to continue to get better at offering personalized experiences. So we know personalization is the way through to enhance the experience. It makes customers feel seen and appreciated. It encourages purchases and drives customer loyalty, and in turn, maximizes revenue. This article highlights that there was studies that show that targeted campaigns using good segmentation is responsible for 77% of marketing ROI. So with that, they outline six trends about segmentation, or predictions, actually, they call them, to help brands maximize acquisition and retention. So let's go through each one of these, Reid. First one they call out is that influencers will continue to affect buying decisions. Oh, no. (laughs) We have a love-hate relationship with influencers, don't we? Yeah, just whoever buys a Stanley, just uh, get whatever they get, I guess. (laughs) No, they say that their consumers are more likely to buy something when someone they trust recommends it. I mean, this is the whole concept of, of word of mouth. It's the driving force certainly behind endorsements, uh, influencer partnerships, all the stuff you see online where people are promoting things. If you listen to a podcast, for example, and they're promoting a mattress or a health uh, drink or whatever it may be, I mean, that that's the whole point right? You've got a connection to these people. Therefore, if they say it's good, it must be, you know, due to the prevalence of social media, uh, you know, kind of influencer marketing, this continues to be a a way that we can reach uh, certain segments or individuals. And so, in fact, they say in here that 61% of consumers see influencer recommendations as trustworthy uh, with the influencer marketing industry worth about $21 billion. We can expect this uh, trend to continue. Well, so let's talk about this in the context of health systems, because our approach shouldn't traditionally embrace that influencer that we think about that's promoting Spanx or whatever on on TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. But who are the influencer audience that we have? I mean, you think about subject matter experts, right? So like your clinicians in and of your health system, I mean, those are great folks that are influencers in this space, I think. You know, more broadly or nationally, it's people that run large uh, organizations uh, like Health and Human Services or the CDC, et cetera. Right. I also think about at a local level, right? There's a fair amount of outreach that we do to the community, and we leverage community memberships, community partnerships to reach sometimes those people that are underserved, right? So Mm -hmm. those could be 
in, in, in this broader characteristic of influencer, they could fall under that category. For sure. I mean, again, th- those physicians, especially in a smaller community, you know, play such an influential role. But I think about people that run the school district or local city government, you know, things like that. So really interesting way to kind of think about things and, and try to engage locally, even some of the nonprofits, et cetera. So the number two prediction they have here is hyper-personalization. Not just personalization, hyper-personalization. Going beyond broad segments and email templates to where just the name is swapped out and drilling down to specific segments, their attributes, career or affiliation, whatever it might be, right? The goal here is to provide outreach efforts or campaigns, including re-engagement campaigns, and content that's highly personalized to that specific consumer, almost one-to-one, right? We want to get to that one-to-one. If you know that a customer recently purchased hiking boots, they say, and they're also a student, you can recommend they buy a backpack. Well, okay, that works for consumer packaged goods. How does that work in health systems, Reed? Yeah, I mean, I think this is where you get into that, that idea of the next best action. And the more you know people, the more uh, opportunity you have to kind of give them what that next step is, right? So, I mean, if you know through your electronic health record, for example, that I have not come in for an annual wellness visit in the last 12 months and I don't have one scheduled for the next three months, well, that's a good reason to reach out and prompt with uh, a very prescriptive or, you know, easy button, if you will. Uh, on something for me to do. So again, kind of reactivating folks to some degree, but also that longitudinal piece. So again, how do you get more capture of uh, what people need, right? Now, some of that obviously goes into a fact, you know, do you have the resources to do it, right? Like, do you have the access points or the services or the capacity or what have you? But assuming you do, you know, how do you kind of weave together that more longitudinal understanding of who the consumer is? Third one on the list, identity-based segments. This is really interesting. Are they asking here what type of segments you know marketers should be focused on? Is that a life stage or some sort of affiliation, something like that? I think for us, there's an interesting take here, right? Because you can go down this path of payer mix, for example. Is that something you should target around? I think it depends, right? I mean, there that certainly is from if you're looking at ROI. Mm-hmm, there is mm-hmm. a certain angle that you can take there. The big thing here, though, that they're trying to get at is think about it in a different way. In the olden days, we used to segment people by their age bands, right? People that were these generations reaching a little bit differently. But we know that people are reacting differently and they're crossing the the generations are not operating concretely in that way it's really getting to that more personalized angle that they're talking about now there's a lot to come in the interview that that we have later on in the show stay tuned for that but i would say that if we take this as this concept of identity-based segmentation it really helps to bring in lifestyle factors to bring in behavioral factors to bring in a lot of different elements into painting a different picture of who your segments are for your outreach Another thing they call out here is social responsibility. Cause-based marketing is one thing that they say can be really an effective strategy for many audience segments. Now, I just said don't go after generations, but even social causes have been identified as particularly important for younger generations. 60% of Gen Z consumers say they want to support brands that share their values And uh, across all segments, 42% of consumers say that brands should do more to support social causes. 
So if we can marry that cause marketing with market segmentation, that's a really good win here. Now, we in health systems, that really aligns to our mission, doesn't it? It does. And I think we probably do some of this that we don't really classify as this, maybe. Probably because we haven't focused on it. But if you think about the way that we partner in our communities or other organizations we support, you know, things like that. You know, how do you take that just a little bit further to make sure that, you know, you're focused and maximizing the opportunity that is there and making sure that, you know, you really understand how you are serving uh, that local community. Next one on the list, number five, privacy friendly data collection. Is that a CPFD? C. PFDC, we're making up that four-letter acronym right here. So they're talking here about the fact that you know, the, the need for consumer data for segmentation in and of itself. So again, it's hard to do much online without giving up information, right? Yep. Uh, you know, you're signed into Google, for example. Well, that's super convenient because now your bookmarks are the same between your devices. And so, you, know, you know what I mean? Like there's just... It's hard not to give people information and participate online and have an experience that you want. And there are regulations certainly that exist inside the U.S. and outside the U.S. that you know kind of help guide. And you know, we've talked about even on this show some of the OCR recommendations and, and kind of things that they've put out relative to uh, privacy. It really kind of goes back to this idea that it's going to be harder and harder to collect information about the consumer, again, you have a lot of information in your electronic health record. And so, again, that's probably another show for another day. But, you know, how do you kind of go down this path and move away from these third-party tools to really build your own first-party data collection mechanism in, in the ways that you then use that information? They call out, they use a term here in this article that I've never heard before, but it's, it's really interesting, zero-party data. Oh. That's where customers knowingly offer up in exchange for something they want, like a discount or some kind of value. They offer up information about themselves to you in allowing you to communicate with them better. Maybe that is first party data as we think about it. But in this particular case, it's really zero party because the consumer is saying, yes, I want you to communicate with me better. Here's the information about how you can contact me better. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where you get in. Like, you know, my chart's an easy example, right? That's probably zero-party data, you know, where you're doing some preference center type information to your point, email versus text or vice versa or something like that. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about that. I feel like HRAs and some of the quizzes and things like that, you know, kind of border on that where they're getting something in return, Right. Like we don't have a lot of like download this PDF kind of things like some other websites might. But that's yeah, that's more of a zero party take, I guess. So the sixth and last prediction slash trend that this article outlines is data enrichment. With data enrichment, brands can enhance existing customer information with other data to provide insights. So this is where on the back end, having a data and analytics team looking at your data strategies is critical here. You could use this for segmentation in a significant way. You obviously need the data to segment your customer base, but the more data you have, the more rich predictive information you can have about them. Uh, if you move away from like what's in a traditional marketing CRM and start to incorporate stuff like 
how they're using your EMR, how they and their family members are interacting with your health system. This gives you a whole other level of data that you can enrich and better communicate through those segmentations, right? This is the whole drive here is to get to that one-on-one communication, that personalized segmentation that we're all reaching out for. The enrichment piece, I don't know that we do a very good job with that. Well, we don't do a very good job probably with most of these things, to be perfectly honest. True. But I do think this is an interesting way to call out. Listen, you don't have to go, you know, it's the eat the elephant thing. It's like you don't have to go do all of this day one, but at least gives you some tenants to kind of drive towards. And again, hyper-personalization or influencer marketing or some of the you know, social responsibility stuff. But especially things around data collection and enrichment, uh, you can kind of control that within your department a little bit, at least trying to think through, well, you know, how would we do this? And then start bringing in others. So interesting, interesting look at that. So I'm excited, though, about this, th- this interview that we've got coming up. You recently had a chance to visit with Linda McCracken, who's well thought of in the space, certainly, and has some thoughts about uh, what she calls quantifiable market segmentation. And so just maybe we break here for a minute and then uh, come back with, uh, with your, uh, your discussion with her. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment, and today I am delighted to have someone back on the show that's been way too long, Linda, since you've been on the show, six years, I think, since you were on here last, and that's my good friend and colleague, Linda McCracken. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be back here. And I have loved your podcast over the years, so thanks for keeping us going and getting us educated so well. It's been way too long since you've been on the show, so we'll have to make sure we don't have another six years lapse before you come back on. I'm excited to get started to talk about our topic at hand because it's something that a concept that you helped me to understand a little bit better, and I think that this is going to be really interesting for our audience. But before we jump into our topic at hand, I would love for you to share a little bit about your background, who you are, what you do. Do you mind sharing? I have about 20 years of experience in health, um, finding great opportunity to work with teams and leaders around key questions. Who do we serve? What do they need? How many and um, how do we reach them? And I've actually gotten my start. I work in and with health systems. Back in the day, I had a great tour of duty at Thomson Reuters and then at Accenture Health Services, which is awesome. And in the last 18 years, I've been teaching physician execs market strategy at Harvard. And I'm excited, Chris, that you're going to come join and help teach those docs. Yeah, I'm excited for that too. And I'm sure I'm going to share a little bit uh, of what I talked about with the audience after the the actual session. But, you know, Linda, you and I have been chatting on the phone quite a number of times over the last few months. 
And the other day, you mentioned this concept of quantifiable market segmentation. I know our audience knows what market segmentation is. We've talked about it quite often. In fact, when you were on here back in you know 2018, you and uh, Suzanne Hendry were talking about market segmentation at the time. But this qualifier, this term quantifiable market segmentation jumped out at me and it made me immediately say, Linda, I need to have you on the show to talk about that. Could you share a little bit about what that is and we'll kind of get into it a little bit? The conversation that we had with Suzanne actually has some great chapter next news by using quantifiable market segmentation at Renown on their Medicare Advantage. They've gone from, they've had four to five years of seven to 20% enrollment growth and 10x improvement on their loyalty, their older adult loyalty program by knowing exactly who they were reaching out to, what job they were doing and how to engage them. Suzanne also will talk about the fact that it saved them tens of thousands of dollars in efficient market spending by making sure that there's the right message to the right customer in the right way. So the quantifiable market segmentation is, well, how many? I mean, we start to think about, um, and especially with older adults. Oh, we think about older adults. Okay, quick. You know, um, they're not very digital. Those are our assumptions. But in fact, when we started looking into the quantifiable component and said, how many are digital and how many are go-go's, slow-go's, or no-go's, you know, cute names, all rhymes, thanks thanks to the older uh, adult housing industry. But knowing how many are in each category with cohorts and micro-targeting actually brought that savings and that greater return. By applying advanced analytics to the existing customer and market data, quantifiable segmentation builds on traditional approaches by estimating the actual volume and value of the customers within specific segments. So we can um, apply that quantifiable market segmentation for cost efficiency, retention, and revenue growth. And, um, and then overall top line growth. This is where it really becomes sort of the advanced marketing course, right? And this is what I really want to get into with you. Because again, we all know market segmentation. We know how that's done. I've seen my fair share of cute named personas that are in the marketplace. And we kind of assess them against, you know, the, the prevalence of how many of them are in the marketplace. And also get put in, pull in some socioeconomic factors to kind of understand how they respond to certain types of messaging or different ways they maybe do media consumption habits. But in this particular case, you're actually attributing segmentation to direct financial value. That's the quantifiable piece of this, right? Yes. Well, it's two parts. One is how many are there? When we start to work with teams and say, who do you serve and who do you serve mostly? The answer is usually different than what the numbers show. So if we say to virtually every team that works with older adults, if there's go-go's, slow-go's, and no-go's, who do you serve? Most healthcare teams will say we serve, we serve the, you know, those that don't operate and are very frail and unhealthy. So we, the no-go's. And then when we start doing the numbers, it's 20 to 25%. And then mm. we can unlock value and say, wait, let's understand who are the, let's unpack the other 80%, the other 70% and say, because on if it's a per member per month, that revenue is valuable. And if it's a customer base where we want to serve those that are very frail and not well, then we can say, well, let's stop spending the money on those that are very active and have a different way of using healthcare, selecting healthcare. But typically teams are, when we ask, who do you serve 
and who do you think you serve and who do you actually serve, we don't have alignment. And the cost of alignment is almost like the cost of inaction, which is the marketing team, the access team, and the service delivery team are all building for a different type of customer. And that's an inefficiency that's just not necessary. Yeah. And I have to admit, you know, in my many years in health systems, there have been a a couple of times where that mismatch did occur and we didn't realize until well after we embarked down a particular activity campaign or whatever strategy it was that we were doing that we were six months, 12 months down the road. And we looked back and we said, wait, our performance numbers aren't really meeting what we estimated it to be. I think that this is really important for uh, those, those audience members listening in to kind of understand how to do that. Now, we know that that data exists. That data exists in multiple different ways. Why is it that current market segmentation sometimes does not reach the level of quantifiable market segmentation? Is that because marketers have trouble accessing that data? Oh, that's a great question. I love your I love your call out that there's a challenge for the marketers because they are at a loss for the key information they need to approach the quantifiable business value. I agree with you that they may not have access to the data. They also may not be pulled in early enough to be able to do that joint strategy planning with the service line team, um, whether it's payer or provider. If they're asked, hey, let's get a campaign out, then they'll identify who is most likely to respond. But it's really crucial that that actually be linked to the experience design team. So there's an absence of data, there could be an absence of strategic alignment, there could be an absence of shared vision about who we're we're serving. Yeah, you know, getting marketing a little further upstream in the the strategy with the working with the, the strategy team and also working with the experience design team sometimes could be a little bit of a challenge. But I think that we're starting to see our way through that a little bit. With the health systems that you work with, are marketers still kind of struggling to catch up to that level? I think that some some are working to catch up. Some might not know, hey, here's what our, my brief is. And right after COVID, there's a study that came out that said, hey, marketing teams globally, um, globally and cross industry were bracketed into striving, thriving or surviving, but only 17% were thriving. So I don't think it's a big problem. Forbes CMO Summit just called out and said that marketing needs an internal marketing campaign because their value is not recognized. So I'm not, there's no knock on the health organizations. It's marketing overall that is, um, has an opportunity to contribute the voice of the customer experience um, to the right team. So it's helpful if there is a if there's executive um, strategy teams that are overseeing that where marketing can contribute its very powerful voice. One health system said, "Hey, we really want to grow." Matern- the health system said, "We've got a new negotiation. We've got new services that we're doing with a tertiary pediatric hospital, like many suburban hospitals are now offering." And so they said, "We need we need more women in here. We need more families." The health system being right outside of a major urban area found that when they doubled down on relocating families, those women were willing to shift OBGYNs compared to people in the local market that weren't willing to shift. So they doubled down on, okay, we want new movers. They have one to two children. They want to have more children. And in four years, they increased OB steadily by 25% which of course meant that they also increased their pediatric and were able to pay for the very costly affiliation. I equate this to the move from 
what I call lowercase m marketing to uppercase m marketing, right? The capital M marketing. Because really, you clued in on this, and I want to kind of double back on it. You said really, to this, this helps you to develop a better sense of your customer base. And I really believe that that's what marketing's role is within an organization, is to become the voice of the customer. Do, do you agree? Yes. And I love your call out that marketing is the voice of the customer or can or um, should be treated as their, their core insight because they wake up every day saying who's the customer and how do they go out and find, reach, and engage. Um, when marketing gets brought into the conversations, health system and health payers to say, hey, how can we have a more efficient use of our emergency department, the most expensive service center we have in health systems, to have someone who actually doesn't need to use the emergency department that goes into a physician office, that's at least $1,250 per avoidable ER visit. And so to the extent, and, and many organizations are doing this well, although CMS says that 75% of Medicaid use the ED annually, but in looking at, again, running analytics, working with finance, working with clinical, and saying how many avoidable ER visits are there that could be in another setting with a redirectable reason for visit, that actually can be tens of millions of dollars of savings and capacity created for the truly sick. I love how you're putting those numbers right in there as, as part of the conversation. You know, that's, again, one of those things that in my many years in, in health systems, sometimes it's challenging to quantify what a customer's value is to an organization. And even when you, when you meet with your financial teams and your strategy teams, sometimes they struggle with that as well. This concept of quantifiable market segmentation really uh, serves to pinpoint that specific value that that, or, that customer has on your organization, right? Yes. And I love that you're pointing that out, that it's the pinpoint of the value of the customer and pinpointing the value of the customer getting the right care in the right center, in the right service center. Because once we know what the value is to the organization and to the customer, um, there's an opportunity for higher ratings. Um, and by the way, kudos to Renown. They get top ratings in their customer service in many other areas. But by knowing them, then there's a huge opportunity. Also recognizing the shift in demand. Um, we've seen, um, Chris, you and I have seen the recent research from our friend Rob Klein that shows even 70% of the Gen Zs actually have a primary care provider. Five years ago, pre-pandemic, it was more like 40%. Knowing that there's that much um, demand for primary care is a great way to be able to quantify where do I need my primary care. Now, the good news out of that research, again, going into the, the data, is that those that have a primary care want one for annual physical and prescription care. But getting sick care can be done elsewhere, and that doesn't make or break the PCP relationship. And that's even better because the extenders are about 30% of the cost of a dock. So you can start seeing we're unlocking cost opportunities and advantages when we start saying, but it's really crucial to understand who fits into what care model category and what kind of cost efficient care there is so that we can make sure that we deliver it to the right people. See, and you're starting to go down the path now of like not only having that understanding of your market segmentation, but now being able to also understand their journey and where the value is in that journey and where the shifts are in that journey. Tell us a little bit about how quantifiable market segmentation can augment the journey mapping that we all are, are doing right now in, in health systems. 
I think there's an opportunity to say that uh, the journey mapping of a particular persona is going to differ than another. So typically when I work with organizations, I put out a few different personas and they start designing what the future will look like for the journey map when the perfect experience takes place. And so when the perfect experience takes place, then they can start saying, what do we have and what do we still need? When they start unlocking, what do we still need? They start making a list of their strategy initiatives and their key expense items for invest for investment. Once they understand what they need to invest in and we say, okay, so what if we just get one, five, 10, 40% of the potential revenue with that population's um, utilization or shift? then we've got the money that actually starts supporting the value case. There you go. Now we're getting to the actual benefits of doing this, right? Because as you and I talked about before we started recording, we oftentimes, you know, it feels like we're doing a lot of segmentation. We're doing a lot of journey mapping, but where it results in the business value, the value to the organization is profoundly significant when you're understanding and quantifying your markets. Let's go through a couple of those benefits to the organization. Just there, you you indicated that it could help you develop a better business case for investments and initiatives and strategies. Exactly right. Because if we're going to say, hey, we need we need a higher level of digital of scheduling uh, in order for marketing to realize their ROI, we've got to make sure that we have real-time scheduling for high demand visits on the phone. And so there's going to, there may, there will be investment technology, right? And to, um, and processes to make sure that the EMR can handle it, that there's capacity, um, that there's services. So that investment can have a net benefit against some of the incremental revenue. That in and of itself is worth the, the price for admission, so to speak. But there are other benefits that you've seen. In fact, uh, let's highlight some of those others. I love your point. I mean, strengthening the resilience through economic downturns Every um, in the research of who's thriving, it's you know what. Let, let's look and see where do we want to where do we want to grow. And finance will always have a shopping list of here's what I need. Here's the high margin services that we need to boost because of the economic downturn. We've got a couple of Harvard cases written about the fact that there was a period of time where there was a specific diagnostic that had a high margin. Then bring the team together to say, hey, we're going to pull together and start doing campaign and experience design and journey mapping around the high value. Typically cancer service teams are saying that the profit in the cancer service line is in infusion therapy and radiation therapy. Then it, it changes the resilience. We're not just trying to get people in, we're trying to get people into the cancer service line, but keep them in so that they can get to the profitable service and get a whole episode economic downturn and resilience, but it's also a more complete experience. As you kind of outline that, I think that, you know, in this day and age, I could hardly name a health system that's not facing some economic challenges right now. Again, it, it's, it's almost like you're using this as a way to pinpoint opportunities for your organization. But let's talk also about the fact that this could help you with understanding opportunity loss, Right. Oh, yes. And I love that you're calling out the opportunity loss because the opportunity loss could easily be how much money could we get, but how much money could we lose? So in working with um, some organizations, they say, okay, so what happens? We're going into new markets. We know that there is a demand not for primary care, but for urgent care. And we have a certain kind of packaging of pediatric care that's important. What happens if we don't deliver what they want? 
What happens if we go in with a standard care? And then we start looking at what's what's the lost revenue from what the little bit that we already have and what's our lost opportunity. And then the leadership team can say, is it worth missing that $4 million that we could have gotten if we'd only gotten 10% um, or is it worth saving it? And in cases like that, then it starts to put a very helpful bubble around the innovation and design team and the folks who are committed to helping pull in that $4 million margin. All of these are, in and of itself, shows the extreme value of being able to quantify your market segmentation. But you know, ultimately, I kind of referred to this before, right? It helps you to mature your marketing capabilities within the organization, going from that little M marketing to the capital M marketing, right? Yes. If we say, hey, we, and, and you and I, Chris, have talked about what's the levels of marketing maturity, and gone are the days where it was just a bunch of local brands where the job was build preference. And pretty much gone are the days when it's local and a few national brands coming in because where we're starting to see health systems reach further out into their geography, there's a lot of local, national, regional brands, then emerging emerging brands, and then um, comparable. So with that greater complexity, we have to shift out of preference and reach to engagement and loyalty. And when we start understanding and recognizing who it is we're getting and who else they might want to um, entertain or engage with, then we um, push market. Marketing actually pushes the organization to be more mature, recognize more competitive threats. Some health systems actually don't realize that they're facing as much competition as they thought they were, which will really drive a significant amount of investment. And you and I have seen where it's actually helped fuel um, millions of dollars of investment to recognize, oh, look, we're up against a much tougher market. It's almost like a Game of Thrones map of who's coming for our territory. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, again, this reinforces to, to me the value of really understanding who you're trying to serve and who you actually indeed are serving and being able to kind of uh, use that data in, in a very precise way. In my early stages in, in healthcare marketing, I felt a lot of decisions were made anecdotally, not really doubling down on the data. But we live in a day and age where now all that data is available. It's pulling this data together in, in such a way that can really help with a number of initiatives. Marketing campaigns, I could see it very valuable working in some of the work that I do with organizations on building digital strategies, uh, experience design. There's a number of applications that you could use all coming from within that, you know, the marketing knowledge base of the organization. Yes, absolutely. And Chris, I'd love your point of view because you're working on, hey, digital. And what I find is many organizations say, oh, we're digital, so we can get rid of our customer service. But if we have people who are getting coached along to be digital, then don't we have to have a hybrid approach? And isn't the expense of that to bridge digital adoption still something that needs to happen? Can we make the financial justification to have that hybrid approach until we get people fully digitally adopting? I was just saying this to a COO of a hospital system that, you know, was saying, you know, that we really want to double down on a digital front door strategy. And I reminded him that, first of all, it's not digital. And secondly, it's not front door, right? It could happen at multiple points in the care journey. And he, he stood stopped for a moment and he says, you know, that is indeed true, right? You, you really want to build that experience around 
what the customers are looking for in the marketplace or what the patients, the existing patients are looking for or our underserved patients are looking for in the market. And I think you and I have seen a couple of health systems also have a digital support deck. Oshner has the OBAR, Baycare has a tech deck, and it's technology people who actually end up doing the coaching. And of course, they can always say, hey, we don't have to, but it's part of the bridge strategy that needs to be paid for so that we can make sure people find our health systems easier to do business with and not let them switch out to who they think they might just end up at their front door. Everything is different with, um, with what's happening with our disruptors. So the more that we can actually understand how do we um, keep and sustain, I think the better opportunity for the health system to be the center of trust. What do you think about that? Oh, I totally agree. That is your competitive advantage. What better than a health system to really understand your audience consumes healthcare, right? It's just really piecing that data together to be able to, to paint a very crisp, clear story and a narrative about where we need to go and where we should be focusing our efforts and what's better return over this particular initiative. That gives you the competitive differentiator, you know, even those national disruptors that are coming into the marketplace. That's my perspective. So this is been a really, really interesting conversation, Linda. They always are. Every conversation with you is very fascinating in the deep dive. You know, I think that people listening in are really wanting to grasp this concept of, of quantifiable market segmentation, take it to the next level. And one of the things I'd love for them to do is be able to connect them with you uh, so they can maybe start that conversation. So what are great ways that people could reach out to you and, and, and start the conversation with you online? LinkedIn is, I think, sort of like the you know, it's sort of like the center of all contact. Um, my contact information is right there. Text, message, email, all good. I'll put all of the links of that in the show notes. Linda, this has been really fascinating. And by the way, you're also speaking at the upcoming HMPS conference, the Healthcare Marketing Physician Strategy Conference in April. Do you want to give a little, a little preview as to what you're going to be talking about? I'm very excited about it. Thank you. I'm talking with Suzanne Hendry, VP of Marketing and Customer Experience at Renown, and Rob Klein, our Klein um, and Partners. We're talking about reinventing primary care. In the last few years, in addition to sort of looking at who, I've been looking at what's the primary care model, what's the demand, and what's the economic opportunity to optimize but still retain the clinicians in ways that um, are good for customers and clinics. I am looking forward to not only meeting with you uh, in person uh, next month, but also uh, to seeing you at that conference in the, in the near future. But Linda, uh, you know, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today and sharing some of your insights. I, I really appreciate you your openness and willingness to share your expertise with, with our audience. No, thank you, Chris. I appreciate your teaching and sharing and expanding and expanding my horizons. Your podcast is always um, expansive and you and Reed do a great job expanding our industry. Thank you. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. Okay. Well, thank you again. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
Special thanks to Linda for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate her time and uh, thoughts. I think this is a, a great way is, you know, January where we're setting goals and planning and all that kind of fun stuff as we think about that and how we might fuel some of those efforts. It's a great topic. I'm sure we'll revisit a number of times throughout the throughout the year. So um Another quick plug, touchpoint.health is the website, TPS report, all that kind of fun stuff. We'll start talking about some conferences as they get a little bit closer and we get into the spring. Before we call it a day, uh, maybe some recommendations. Reed, I'm going to recommend the fifth season of a show I've been watching that actually spun off from a movie. That is Fargo, season five. Have you watched the Fargo TV series before? Not the TV series. That's one that I've thought about getting into, and I'm actually going to put that on my that on my list. Where would I find said streaming show? Yeah, said streaming show is on Hulu. It, it's on FX. You can find it. There's every season is a different, you know, what they call a black comedy crime drama series, right? So every every season is a different story. They're somewhat related. They're in the same universe, but the, each one is independent. Each season, it's a crime drama that's set in Minnesota as well as North Dakota. In this particular case, it stars Juno Temple. Do you know who Juno Temple is? I don't think so. She's from Ted Lasso. Okay. I'd probably recognize her if I saw her. John Hamm is in this. He's a North Dakota sheriff. Very disturbing character, so to speak. And Jennifer Jason Lee is in it. Oh. A a great season. And every episode leaves you on the edge of your seat. The storyline is very compelling. Now, every time Fargo starts, they say this is a true story where the names are changed to protect the innocent, but the storyline is told to incriminate the the guilty. But I have to say, every episode is actually completely fictitious. It's not really a true story. Even the movie is not based on a true story. It's loosely based on stuff. But this season is so great. If you like uh, any kind of like crime drama or black comedy or the combination of the both, definitely watch Fargo Season 5. Watch every season of Fargo because they're really good. But uh, this is my recommendation. Very nice. I like it. I like it. I've got it on my list. Uh, I am going to recommend a brand. Um, it is uh, a, mainly apparel and shoes and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but it's called East Side Golf. And so if you're a golfer, cool. Uh, but really, you don't have to be a golfer. Uh, they make really cool jackets and hoodies shoes, sweatshirts, you know, all sweatpants, t-shirts, polos, hats, you know, all that kind of stuff. They do have some golf stuff like accessories and, and head covers for your golf clubs or whatever. The shoes they have are actually Jordans, which, you know, will not be a shocker to people who know me, uh, but they're the golf version of popular uh, Jordan shoes. Um, and so anyway, it's called Eastside Golf. They make some really, really cool stuff. If you're a golfer or you're looking for a good hoodie or jacket or hat, you know, a cool hat or something like that, they've got some really cool stuff that's uh, that's worth checking out. Certainly, you can visit their website. Uh, they also have bundles and things like that. But uh, they also have an app. You can actually download an app and get notified when there's new releases and, and things like that. So be sure to check it out. Oh, wow. That's a good recommendation. I definitely will have to check that out. All right, folks. Well, there it is. First episode recorded in the calendar year of 2024. We certainly appreciate all the support, all the kind words that we get throughout the course of the year. Reach out uh, if there's a topic, 
we should cover, somebody we should interview, etc. TPS report over at the website. Be sure to sign up for that. Rate, review, subscribe is still the number one way you can help us out and telling folks about the podcast. So look forward to seeing everybody at some point this year. Again, reach out. LinkedIn is probably the best way to do that. If we don't see you in person. But for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.